We're continuing uh, in our series, which is getting our house in order. And uh, for those of you who uh, have read the church's vision and looked at the plan for vision into action, or I should say God's vision for the church that we believe God is leading us to. Um, And we've got a five-year plan. Well, we say a five-year plan. We've got the first year kind of mapped out, and then it gets a bit vague because we need to get through the first year to be able to really plan for the next few. But we know we've got ideas about where God is guiding us. And I've heard a few people say um, that it's my vision. And they've said, you know, thank God for the vision that God's given to Rich. It's not my vision. My vision is simple. My vision is that we would follow God's vision and that we would have a vision from God together as a church family. Now what that is, I don't mind. I've got no uh, intention of going, oh, we should do this, that or the other. And if there are things that are within the vision that's written down and in the plan that aren't for us and for us to implement, then we need to know. It's not for me. It's not from me, it's not from the leaders, it's things that everybody has had an opportunity to bring. So if we've got it wrong and you're praying about it and you say, no, this isn't right, then please, please speak up. Because on Thursday, at our church members meeting, we're going to vote, because it's been out and around now for the last three months or so, uh, and it will be an opportunity for us to say, yes, we believe that this is what God is calling us to and this is where we're going to put our focus and our energy and our efforts for the next few years and if we get it wrong then that's not good but this first year we've said actually we need to get our house in order and there's various things that we need to do Uh, and we already had a clear out of the loft and the cellar and lots of stuff appeared there were some little hidden treasures Uh, that I was unaware of, there were some things that we just needed to clear out. And that's fine. Last time we met together, we looked at and we considered the Israelites having left Egypt. They'd been slaves in Egypt. And then God sets them three under Moses' guidance and leadership. And then he says, I want you to build this tabernacle. And having been slaves, now I can imagine kind of the pictures that we see on the news of the refugees leaving Syria. You think they've not got much with them. So how did they have what they needed uh, to, to build the tabernacle? And we talked last time about the fact that actually God had enabled them to be provided. The Egyptians had set the Israelites off, not with nothing, but with gold uh, and bronze and silver, which initially they would have worn as jewellery and things, and then they're able to go actually... We can now use this to to build the dwelling place for God. Well, things progress in the story. We haven't got time to go into every detail about how they got from wandering in the wilderness to the point where David is their king. But things have moved on. They've entered the promised land. Uh, They've had a number of different leaders. And we come to the point where David's king um, and uh, he is excited because he thinks, yeah, God's done so much for us. He 
He's blessed us and I want to honour God. He shouldn't live in a tent anymore. He should live in a, a temple. It should be a solid structure. So we're going to have a look at that. Now, when I was a student, not a student pastor, but in my first time round of being a student, in my late teens and early 20s, I went to a church and I remember hearing the pastor preach. So I'd, have been a, I'd probably been 20 at the time, so it's a little while ago now. And I remember his sermon and it was on getting your house in order. And I found it fascinating. I thought it was a brilliant sermon. And what he was talking about was thinking about what we leave behind for those who will follow us, for future generations. What do we leave behind for our loved ones? And there were some practical things. You know, do we have a will? And as a 20-year-old, I was thinking, no, I don't have a will, but maybe I should get one. I was inspired at that point to think maybe, even though I'm only 20 and I don't really have anything, maybe I should have a will. If you've got something to pass on for people to inherit, do they know that they're going to inherit it? Or if you've decided for all great intentions and purposes that actually what you have you'd like to pass on to a charity or to elsewhere, so perhaps your loved ones aren't going to receive it. Do they know that? Have have they been told? Or are they suddenly going to be surprised when the will is read and they go, oh, I thought, but what? Oh, will that be a blessing to them or will it raise questions? Will they think, oh, well, how come we weren't given the thing that we were expecting? How come mum or dad or grandma or granddad's done that? We don't understand. And they're not around to ask, so we're really confused. Do people know what our funeral plans are, our hopes and expectations for funerals? Because one of the things that happens is they can be, they're very emotional times, obviously, but funerals and the arrangements of funerals can be extremely difficult. And when one person says, ah, This was their favourite song. We've got to have it in the funeral. And somebody else says, no, they really didn't like that song. We're not having that in the funeral. And so, because of heightened emotions and everyone wanting to do just the right thing, people fall out at just the time when they should be coming together. Do people know? Have we told them what's going to happen and why it's going to happen? Are we able to talk about such things? Do we consider the problems that will be caused if we don't sort these things out and aren't organised? And it's not necessarily an easy thing to do, but it is kind of an important one. And I wonder if we think about that for the church, I wonder what will be the legacy of the church? What will be the legacy of Usley Baptist Church for younger generations, for those people that come after us. And perhaps we can look to the past and go, well, the legacy that previous people have left is this. And we can look at past ministers, past members, past secretaries, past boys and girls brigade captains. Say, well, this is the legacy that they've left. I wonder what is the legacy that we are leaving? What is it that we pass on to those that will follow? Are we leaving things in good order? 
Or are we leaving things with the hope that someone else will come along and perhaps keep things ticking over or to pick up the pieces and we'll go, well, we'll let them worry about it. We're not going to be here if we just keep it ticking over. Do we think that so long as everything's all right until we're not around, whether it's because we pass away or because we move on, then, well, we've done our bit. And therefore, we'll let them worry about their bit. When we did, uh, when we had our church vision day and we asked uh, about people's hopes and expectations and fears for Usley Baptist Church, one of the things that got said was, we hope that the church will still be here. We hope that there will still be people worshipping God in this place. Someone actually said, and we were only really looking at the next five years, but someone said, I hope that there's still a church here in 50 years' time. That's my hope, in 50 years' time. But it will be the next five years that could determine whether that is true or not. We are at quite an important and crucial time. Chronicles 22 verses 1 to 10 talks about David preparing things for his son Solomon. Now, many of you will know the story and the history of David. He started off, he was the youngest son and he was uh, a shepherd. But he was chosen by God against the culture and the traditions of the day. He was chosen by God. It should have been by all rights from the way that things were done in kind of humans' perspectives. It should have been the eldest son. But no, God chose the youngest son. And then there came Goliath and the Israelites were being threatened and didn't know what was going to happen and they all got a bit scared. And David went to deliver some food to his brothers who were out on the battlefield And whilst he was there, he said, well, you know what, I'll go up against him. I'm prepared to go and fight this giant Goliath. Give me a sling. I I don't need a sword. I I don't need a shield. I I don't need this armour. That doesn't work for me. I've got God. And he's prepared me for this moment because I was a shepherd and I had to fight bears and lions. And he went with his slingshot and he beat Goliath and then the Israelites triumphed. And of course, then all the people thought David was a great hero. But there was a different king at the time. There was King Saul. And Saul got a bit jealous and things didn't go quite as Saul would have wanted. And Saul tried on a number of occasions to kill David. But it didn't work out because God had a plan. And David had the respect of the people. He triumphed in battles. He made Israel strong. But he also lusted Uh, after a woman that he saw bathing out on a rooftop and he had her husband killed. But he also danced and he worshipped before God with no care about what others thought. He was said to be a man after God's own heart. He had vision. He had a desire to build a place of worship, the temple for God, rather than the tented tabernacle. But God says to David, no, that's not my plan for you. I had a plan for you. You have fulfilled the plans I had for you. 
You were to lead your people and you've been a great leader. You messed up a few times, but you've been on the whole a good leader. You are well respected. You're a man after my own heart. But no, my vision and my plan for you is not that you build this temple. You've got to do other things. Because the things that you needed to do meant that there was bloodshed. There were battles. And the temple that is built needs to be built in a time of peace. Because people need to know that I'm a God of peace. It needs to be built under the rule of a king that does not have blood on his hand. But because God and David have this relationship and David's got this vision, he doesn't go, oh, well, if, if that's for someone else, I'll just leave it then. He says, what do I need to do to prepare for that next generation? I'm not to build the temple, but I can get things ready. So in order to help his son, David prepared what is needed for the temple. He, he recognised that his son didn't have all the skills, perhaps all the, the contacts that he might need. He didn't have that relationship, perhaps all the respect of other nations. And so David makes sure that Solomon has got all the things he needs to gather, gather together to be able to build this temple to God. David isn't going to see the temple. He might have a, an image of what it's going to look like in his mind's eye. But he's not got a clue what it's going to actually be like. And I don't know if you've ever had that where you go, I've got this idea for something. And you, you don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know if you watch the buildings that are going up around here at the moment. We seem to, someone described it as we're being flatted in Uslin West Drayton at the moment. Not flattened, but flatted. As flats are going up everywhere. And it's hard to imagine when you walked over the bridge with the lovely blue lights a few months ago when there was some diggers and dumper trucks. We got to watch them quite a lot with uh, Arthur, particularly keen to see them. It's a great day out. But we couldn't imagine what it was going to look like, what was going to rise up there. We just saw mud and we began to see some bits of metal going in, but we didn't know what it was going to look like. I still don't fully know what it's going to look like, but I can see that it's taken shape. It's got a size now. There's blocks of flats that are going to go up there. Or apartments, as the posh name for them. David wasn't going to see the temple, but he was preparing for the future. And it wasn't just for his son, but it was for the future generations. Generation after generation after generation. But he prepares the way for them. As a church, as a Christian community here in Usley, we are continuing our journey. The church didn't start yesterday, it didn't start today. Earlier this year we celebrated 115 years, or 17 years, depending on where you take your time from. This building hasn't been here the whole time. This came along later. But God prepared the way. God used people back in 1897 to gather in a home across the road, to have a Bible study, a Sunday school that grew, that then developed into the tabernacle down the road and then moved up here and different things have come and gone along the way. But they prepared the way. 
And some here will know a lot more of that story and God's provision during that time. Not only do we need to think about what we need for this moment in time to deal with whatever we need to deal with now and to do now, but we need to be preparing God's church and God's people for what happens next. We're talking about a 2020 vision. The next, as far as I can see, is just five years. I'm not fully able to go to the end of my life and think, what if? What's going to happen? What do I need to leave behind for my son to build or my grandson to build? But I can think forward and I can envisage the next five years. That's manageable for me. It's not too out there. And from the exercises that we did when we had the vision day and people fed in and conversations and things that we prayed over, the three things that came out were to become an authentic multi-ethnic Christian community. Because, you see, the the community in which we live, the neighbourhood in which we live, even 15 years ago, It's changed. I wasn't here, I didn't see it, but I've been told it's a changed place. Even in the past 12 months that I have been here, I've seen changes. The high street is changing, there's new shops, there's flats or apartments that have gone up. We've got Crossrail coming in. It's bringing a different group of people to this area. I read that according to the 2011 census that within the Usley Ward there are 66 different languages spoken. It's an incredibly diverse place. Now my experience of places that are described as multicultural is often what happens is actually there's lots of separate cultures. The Nigerians meet with the Nigerians, the Indians meet with the Indians, English folk meet with English folk. And we gather separately. We do things separately. And people speak their own languages and in their own ways to each other. But the desire, or at least the vision, and whether, whether it scares us or gives us hope, is actually that in this place, as God's people, we're not multicultural, but, but we are of one family, bringing our differences and growing together and learning from one another. We said that we want to maintain and cultivate a family ministry. Not that we have lots of families coming, though that might be nice, but actually that that the environment that we have here where people do love and care for one another. And that's something I've experienced and others that have come in experience. I was chatting with someone this week that has never been to Usually Baptist Church before. Um, They met with me. Um, They were a a student at the uh, university. And they met with me and just from looking at our website and kind of arriving here to meet with me, they said, I kind of know that you care for one another. And I was like, I don't know how they know that. But that was, there's something about just the way that we are, even when we're not together, that says, you know what, we're a family. And I think that's really important. We want to cultivate and we want to nurture that. So as we grow, as we change, as different people come in, that that is what that they know and understand. We also said we genuinely want to share responsibilities based on gifts, skills and interests. And to achieve these goals, we must 
have our attention fixed on the redeeming work of Christ and be rooted in love and prayer. Now I can see so far ahead, I can see so much about 2020. But I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know who's going to be drawn in. Some of us will have moved on for a whole variety of different reasons. Perhaps work will take us elsewhere. Perhaps we will reach the end of our lives. Perhaps we'll need to move because we've got a family member to care for. Perhaps we just get inspired and we're going to go off on mission. I don't know. Some people will still be here. Some people will change. New people will come in. But we have a responsibility to those who will follow after us. We are in a changing community, a changing society. The way that our society is made up, the way that things happen has changed and will continue to change. Arthur's just started at nursery. It's very exciting and slightly scary. No, it's slightly exciting and very scary. I think it's probably more accurate. And we've been going to the school and finding out what school is like these days. And school has changed since I was at school. It's a different place. I don't fully recognise it. For some of you, it will be a completely alien environment. Because it's been even longer since you were last in school. Relationships have changed. The jobs that people have have changed. It said that over 50% of the jobs that our children will do haven't yet been invented. Because of the way that technology is changing. People now talk to each other through the internet or on Facebook or by email. We text one another. We occasionally phone each other up. And, and actually for the younger generations, the time they spend actually talking with one another face to face has decreased. I realised as I was chatting again this week with somebody about how things have changed. Because when I was growing up, when I was Arthur's age, we lived in a street that was a cul-de-sac. And there was a garden at the end of the road, someone's front garden. And all the kids would seem to be playing in the garden. And parents would be out, you know, washing the car, doing the gardening. But everyone kind of looked out for one another and we knew our neighbours' names. As we got a bit older, we might be allowed to go into back gardens or we'd go and play in people's houses. And I wouldn't really say, oh, mum, I'm going to wherever. They just knew where we were and it felt safe. But we knew in those young... In, in, as children, we learn to interact and communicate and to play and all that relational stuff that happens. Our children don't get to do that now. So some of those skills that I learned when I was three or four, our children don't get to learn them now until they perhaps go to school because they're kept inside, because it's not safe to be out, because they don't have a garden, because they live in a two-bedroom luxury apartment and their parents maybe don't have the time to take them to the park because they've got to work so hard. Things have changed. We live in a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual community. We can't expect to be the same church that we've always been, but we do have the same God. We do have the same God. He is the same yesterday, today and he will be forever. 
and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Now this year, it's not going to be the most exciting year. It's not the most exciting part of being within a Christian community. Many ministers, those that I speak to or have met or come across, we want to get on with strategies for getting more people in, for growing the church, to kind of be successful in ministry terms in kind of the numbers that are being baptised and the people that come to services that listen to us and whatever it might be. We want to be able to go, yeah, there's more believers. Isn't it great? And of course, that's stuff that I want. As congregations, we've often got accustomed to being told what to do and how things should be run. Minister comes in and says, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're to do it. I believe, though, that part of what it means to be a Baptist is that actually we are equal. We all are ministers. We believe in a priesthood of all believers that each one of us is able to communicate equally with God. And if God is speaking to you and puts things on your heart, then they need to be shared within this community. Because we need to know what God's vision is, what God's heart is for this church and for this place. Together, we have a responsibility to those who will follow.